Adventure Capitalist, Split, and a Games Jam. This is Staying In. I went back to, I suppose, my kind of primal, manly kind of roots. And what I did on Saturday, gentlemen, was picture yourselves this. A sheet of ice. A sheet of ice. I'm at the bottom of this wearing a helmet with a visor to protect myself from the fragments of ice that keep raining down. I look down on my feet. Ah, some heavy boots with crampons on them, these sharp spikes sticking with, out. With croutons? I'm with wearing what? full croutons, with, crampons. With, with, uh, his, his shoes with croutons on them. <laughs> yes, Herb that's exactly Pete. Toasted fragments of bread on oh, my so toes. Delicious. <laughs> um, so you learn a new gear, thing every day. Gloves in my hands like two ice axes one in each hand and I scale this really this sheet of ice yeah that was where I was you should know Chris in my mind I'm imagining the the sheet of ice that you're climbing is similar in size to the wall um, in Game of Thrones yeah that's exactly that's that's how I'm imagining it I mean I trained for it I just completed uh, as you know Rise of the Tomb Raider sure yeah Um, you had some great kind of thumb strength Oh, incredible. Yeah, incredible. Well, I mean, my thumbs down. Never been as dexterous as they are now. He didn't even need the pickaxes. He just stuck no. his thumbs in Jeez. the ice. That's it, literally. Um, it was brilliant. I didn't go alone, though. It was actually... I was invited by our colleague and friend, Sam. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, is gutted that he can't be here tonight because he's, he's really keen to present his side of the right. story, his version of events, mm. which for some strange reason don't chime with mine. Um Basically, yeah, Dan, you're thinking it's the wall. When Sam told me that he'd got this ice climbing booked, I pictured, you know, somewhere like Iceland, like, you know, or Norway, a sheet of, you know, a mountain that would be scary. He was flying you to Norway. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, we got as far as Manchester, um, Deansgate, and um, a place called <laughs> Vertical Chill. Anyway, we, we, we got the wrong premises to start off with. We, we walked into what appeared to be Good a building start. society. Um, <laughs> that clearly wasn't it. Um, even the radiators were on. Thought, no, this can't be it. Did you go up to the counter, <laughs> hand hand over some money, and say, "Could I have some croutons, yeah. please?" Um, I can't climb without my croutons. Um, so basically, what it is, it's a sports shop where you can buy your hats and your like thermals and stuff, and like almost like a museum, like um, I suppose like a glass kind of window that you look for into that kind of like a museum's kind of exhibition inside it's like an empty aquarium is this wall of ice they've made and it, it stretches up quite high and um yeah we walked in with this guy who instructed us and um, we took it in turns to climb it one at a time and and yeah it was really good fun like it's this was proper to start off with we were proper badass like we were jamming our toes in really hard and then like really whacking like the um the, the surface with our pickaxes and afterwards the guy was like yeah, you don't need to do that. You just need to, just need to kind of rest them because there's enough holes in there anyway. I was like, oh, okay. Um, That's not fun. Um, but so we did a bit of both, and like Sam went up, and I didn't. I forgot that Sam has a slight fear of heights. Right. Um, it must be slight because he wouldn't have done no. this otherwise. Yeah. And um, he he was getting a little bit annoyed by the fact that like as he was like halfway up this rock face, this ice wall, me and the bloke were just chatting. Because I was, chat- we had this really interesting conversation. I was telling him about in World War Two, there was a thing called Operation Habakkuk, where this is a true story. Like the Allies had this, were dabbling with the idea of making battleships out of ice and sawdust, 
Right. There was this thing called Pycrete, like incredibly hard and incredibly yeah. tough. And the plan would be that like if it got a hole, you just fill it with ice water. And I'm chatting to this bloke about it and he's telling me about like um Hang on, hang like, on, hang on. Hang on. If if there was a hole in the boat, you'd yeah. fill the boat with water. Ice water. So it would just freeze back up now. So it's, it's ice not, it's, or water. Well, it's ice water mixed with sawdust, which makes it go incredibly hard and incredibly tough. Okay. Operation okay, because I just imagine someone at the bottom of the boat trying to fill a hole by pouring water on it, which yeah. something tells me wouldn't work. But the boat's made of ice. It's not like they're plugging in like a normal ocean liner. But anyway, so we were chatting about this. He was telling me about um, like the mosquito planes, you know, made of like plywood and stuff, like light material and stuff. And we we're having this lovely chat, and he's belaying Sam. He's the bottom, like, turning to me, and Sam's like, oh, guys. Because Sam's, you know, climbing up there, and he felt really self-conscious that I was just having this kind of lovely kind of chat with this bloke. And it was really funny because um, they had to keep the ice wall um, super cooled, obviously. And at intervals, um, <laughs> they turn on these fans, and it just happened to be the moment they turned on this fan was when Sam was one ice pick away from the top. And he leans out and goes to plant his last ice pick, and the fan goes... <laughs> <laughs> and Sam nearly shat himself basically um, <laughs> and yes yeah, so we did that we did traversing and the guy said I'm going to make it hard for you now I said okay what is it going to be one axe he said yeah said, okay great so uh, great. Sam just turns to me you know just oh you why did you say yeah that like first? like of course um, of course you did this you have to hold yeah. your pickaxe with your foot yeah so um, we did it one axe with one axe which is quite cool and um, it was great and yeah felt proper kind of like um, quite badass I mean ignoring the fact that it's in like um, a sports shop in the middle of Manchester you know for that brief moment you kind of felt like proper kind of adventurous and Pete you, I mean you'd love it I mean the testosterone I mean it's just incredible I'd fight someone that's Off the, the scale. problem yeah that's the yeah problem. I'd punch someone's face in I think Did, was, there, was there applause when you returned to Return yeah. to base camp. Well, we we had our, our partners are watching us, you know, and we're expecting them to kind of just be. Oh right, so you're showing off. <laughs> see that? See, it all makes sense. Just though. this incredible display. Yeah. Chris with his one pickaxe. No, no, yeah. I've got this. I've been jamming. Uh, so yeah, I've been. I went to the Global Game Jam 2017 in Bristol at the PM Studios, which uh, is, if you're not familiar, a game jam is where people traditionally from game development get together in a room over a short period of time, usually 48 hours, and they decide to make a game within groups. So um, they're not, you know, you don't get like. 25 people in a room they're all making this one game you have uh, you know you might have you might meet a coder and you're a designer and then you meet an artist and then you go hey should we make the game and then you go yeah let's make the game and then you make the game and you make a game based on a theme so the idea is to encourage collaboration and experimentation and networking and just having a fun time basically uh, this isn't games. the this isn't the first game and jam you've done, is it? No, I did one last year as well, um, and so this year's theme was waves, and the basically the team that I entered was kind of the same idea as the team I entered last year, which was that I'm I like entering teams that have non-traditional development skills. 
uh, which is a very fancy pants way of saying people who don't actively make games but are interested in making games. So while I am technically a de like quote unquote developer, I because I'm a producer, I'm not involved in the you know I don't draw, I don't really do audio, I don't really do coding. Well, I certainly don't do coding. I uh, you know, I, I'm involved in some elements of the design, but I'm not a designer. You know, I don't sit down and go, right, how does this very complex system work? That's not that's not me. Uh, I sort of facilitate in making games happen, and and you know, basically stick my oar in where it's not where it's not required. It's the Willington um, way. It's the Willington way, and so I decided to field, as I say, a, a team of non-developers. So there was myself. There was friend of the show Danny Russell who is the community manager for mobile at Sega there is there was Mark Brown who is a you know very successful youtuber who does game makers toolkit there was Oscar Deus who is a staff writer for GameSpot and there was Alex Bertram Powell who is a fine artist uh, graphic designer and a musician for a band called Boxcar Aldous Huxley here in Bristol. He's also one of the finest theremin players in the world. You know theremin? Yeah, theremin. yeah. My colleague, my colleague plays it. Yeah, it's a very, very tricky music. Basically, if you don't know what it is, then basically you, you, there's essentially like two points. I think they're two bars. And depending on where you place your hand within the bars, you get a different sound. It's like what you get with Doctor Who. It's in the in the. I think I've seen Bill Bailey play yeah, one of his. Sure, you get a shows. lot of spooky sounds. It's like very radiophonic workshop kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he plays that. He's one of the greatest theremin players in the world. Uh, it's quite a specialist uh, instrument, obviously, but it's it's yeah, it's 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 really impressive. So all of those people love games, and uh, they were like, "Yeah, cool. Let's let's make a game." And it was the same that I did last year. I, I fielded a, a non-development team last year as well. Um, so this year we made a text adventure. We made it a very straightforward uh, text adventure in Twine 2. Uh, for those who Good. know anything about Twine, they, it was in uh, Harlow, which is a specific sort of wing of Twine 2. And it's a text adventure. It's basically a, a choose your own adventure, escape the room kind of, kind of thing. So you know, game books. Old school. Know, yeah, I know game yeah. books. Yeah, we talked about it on previous shows, your fascination of game did. books. Yeah. Of course And it we kind did. of so harkens back to those kind of choose-your-own-adventure stories of when you were younger, you well, it's come across. It's exactly that. And when we made an Escape the Room game based on where all the puzzles were based on waves. Uh, so we did that. And, yeah, it was really, really exciting. It was a very fun experience. Again, uh, I'm glad that we did the non-dev thing again because I really appreciate... Being able to encourage people who don't normally make games to think about games a little bit in a bit of a different way. Mm. So obviously, you know, most of us are very, very entrenched and steeped in video games, but you know, how you actually go ahead and practically make a very simple one is quite, quite a different proposition, and I think it gives a lot more clarity to how complex it is to make very large video games uh, we were also we also worked with somebody who uh, was at the PM studio she's like a resident and she was kind of like really interested in she came over and she was like lend, like you know lending us a hand and stuff like that and then she was kind of like she was kind of on the on the project and off the project she was kind of doing her own thing and then she went off and that she actually made her own game 
of her own that weekend. She worked by herself. Like she spent like you know four or five hours, and she went off and made her own thing. And she's not. She doesn't. You know, from what you know, from what conversations I had with her, she doesn't seem particularly massively into games and stuff. But she made her own game, and I think that that's yeah. I think that's and really. That's, I mean, could I like walk off the street and do this? Do I have so, to? Do I have to have like a particular background in order to be accepted at this, or could, is it inclusive just for any average well, Joe to walk in as well? well? That's, so, so that's the thing. So that's why I do this non-developer team because I th- absolutely yes, Chris. Like you could sign up for the Global Game Jam in your area. You know, I'm sure they'll, they'll do a uh, in in Liverpool and and up in Manchester and uh, and they definitely have them in London and such. But I think there is a subconscious barrier that people have where they they go, I'm not a developer, ergo I'm not going to join the Global Game Jam and get involved. And actually jams are really, really good opportunities for people who don't make games to make games and see the process and see how it's like. Because there's no, you know, there's no... Games are, are quite often a commercial endeavour and so you obviously wouldn't get involved because there's no money to, you know, you, you don't have to do it because... You know, there's money and all that sort of stuff. You wouldn't get hired into a studio. And if you're going to do it by yourself, it can be really, really off-putting. Not only do you have to do, you know, the coding and the logic and the art and the design and the production. You know, you've got to do so many different elements of the thing. And you just think, actually, no, I want to focus on one particular area that I'm interested in. So so that's why that, that non-developer thing I think works quite well because it sort of encourages people who don't necessarily have those skills to actually go do you know what yeah I'd love to make a game so you know what Chris don't just walk in off the street I mean you do have to book a ticket but don't yeah. just walk in the street but maybe come to Bristol next year and come and make a game with me I mean Dan oh you're, more than in- you're more than invited as well Oh wow, that sounded amazing. So, how long did that? How many hours were you jamming for? Did you have so, like, a time limit? The event is open for forty-eight hours. The event site that we use is the PM Studio and the, uh, which is part of the Watershed in Bristol, lovely place. And that site is not open forty-eight hours, which actually works really well because I personally am a big fan of not encouraging people to industry. Um, uh, but at the same time, it's quite fun and it is your own free time and stuff. So I can totally see why uh, GGJ runs 48 hour things. But yeah, you technically have a 40 esks and they, uh, you know, they bring in pizzas and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, we, we went home each night at 10 or 11 o'clock and we, you know, we, we got food out and stuff. And yeah. Sorry. Can we play your game? Yeah, you can absolutely play the game. You can go to globalgamejam.org. That is the official site and it will then you can basically search by locations and you can go to Bristol PM Studios thing and then you can see all the games that were made during that jam and believe you me uh, there are some amazing things there absolutely wonderful things uh, what's your game called? Uh, ours was called Volny which what? is which is Russian for wave but I mean I'm impressed with you Pete for for the gaming jam stuff considering you've told us in the past that you are a man of no imagination yeah, I mean that's. I mean that is true. Well, Dan, yeah. the title of the game was just the theme of the entire games jam, but just translated to Russian. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean, so I've not exactly worked miracles, but yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it was. It's it was great. Like I really really enjoyed it, and I would totally do it again. And yeah, you Brilliant. guys should get involved next year. Yeah, I mean that sounds like what a great team that you were working with. What a brilliant team. Yeah, yeah, really cool, really cool team. Like very diverse, like very diverse in terms of like where they are in the mm. industry. 
and uh, the actual like event itself was quite diverse as well like it was really great to have like lots of women and uh like like people of different ages and backgrounds and so on and yeah it was just it was a really really cool oh. event Sure. It reminds me of the time when Peter, you lived in that freezing cold apartment in Bristol. Do you remember? Oh, I helped, when I helped you move in at eleven o'clock at night. Uh, what the uh, the penthouse? Pete house, yeah. Oh I yeah, I, I, I don't think I, I never stayed the there. Oh, it was incredible. Like um, it, my it favorite, was... my favorite bit was when we were moving you in at about like it was saying it was about eleven o'clock at night, and um, yeah. we dumped the boxes, and you go to t- <laughs> turn on the light switch, and we realised down. That there wasn't any lights. There was no light at all plugged in. There was no actual ceiling light. So Pete was like, "Well, <sighs> no next when we come, next move, uh, the next trip, we'll bring the lamp with us." Um, yeah. <laughs> and that was only, uh, Pete, only you would look at a place and not notice the lack of light. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, walk in and say, "Yeah, this looks good." I d- yeah, I know I there's no light fixtures, the but it's fine. <laughs> saw it during the day, and also it's kind of like a thing that you assume, right? Like. You assume that a house is going to have lights. You don't look for like. I mean, you don't like when you're looking for a new place. You don't specifically look for like wall socket fit. Yeah, it's, like, it's not in the I category if, with white. No, goods. no. To be fair, to be fair, yeah. I probably would look at wall so- socket fittings because I would want to know where my stuff would go. So oh, I would so. genuinely look at that stuff. Well, you are a better prepared mover <laughs> than I am. Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I think I think having lights in the ceiling is is. You just pretty went, standard feature at this point. But you just like, went. There are walls. There's a window. I'm good. <laughs> Ticks the boxes. Yeah. It's basically like it. Basically, Dan, his Minecraft building was more luxurious than this place. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. And like we went back the next day, we met your landlord. Was the landlord? No, it wasn't your landlord. He was the guy who managed the air, the flat or whatever caretaker. And we went in this lift, Anne, and this lift was very, very cozy, extremely cozy. <laughs> like the three of us got in this lift, and our faces were like a centimeter from each other. And um, what did the guy call the lift? What did he? What did he, how did oh, he, he called it? it? He called it a coffin on a rope. That was it. Coffin That's what you Very, very encouraging. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. But we knew Pete. You were suffering in that flat. It was incredibly cold, and yeah. we all rallied round together and for your birthday, which is in the winter yeah. time. We yeah. all thought it'd be a good idea to buy you gifts that would prepare you for the cold because you're very thoughtful like we that. are we are the gift that keeps on giving we've got your back i remember so, you recording podcasts wrapped in kind of blankets and coats and yeah. stuff yeah. yeah 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 it was a really really it was great in the summer like the view <laughs> was incredible and the balcony was wonderful but the, the 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 inch gap between the two pieces of window in on the on, on the balcony window was was really quite a bummer during uh during winter uh, <laughs> what floor were you on it's like the ninth uh, nine. The ninth floor? Um, yeah. So your yeah. birthday... Best, best view of Bristol, that. Birthday. Um, well, I think... What did you get him for his birthday that year? Did you get him some thermals? Was that it, Dan? No, Sam got I, him thermals. I don't remember. Yeah, I got thermals from Sam, yeah. You bought him... Didn't you buy him a book on how to make sorbos? Yes, I did. Yeah. I, I kind of I lent into the cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, um, it was good lean. And I bought you a hot water bottle. Job done. Yeah, Chris, no. You bought me a hot water bottle with your face on it. And not even like a like a like a portrait picture. It was a cl- no. extreme close up of Chris's face. Of Chris's face. We still use that, Alex and I. We still take that to bed. We still snuggle up next to your face. Your face has been nearer my crotch uh, on more regular occasions. Don't end uh, up. Pro- Don't finish that. I just that love the fact. You, I just, I just love the fact to, that when you get into bed with a hot water bottle, the first place it goes is your crotch. Well, <laughs> excuse me. Yeah. 
I get cold feet in bed. That's where it usually goes. Not me crutch. Yeah. <laughs> when Got I was young, up. and this this probably sounds a bit kind of like child abuse, but when I was young, back at home, the, my bedroom was at the back of the house, and the shed. The way the way it was is kind of my room was exposed to kind of the outside from two sides. So it was kind of hard brick wall, had like, it wasn't double glazed, so single glazed windows. And I would, I'd be so cold that kind of the inside of my wall would be damp with condensation because of the, just the, the extreme cold. Jeez. And I'd be lying in bed and I could see my breath. And I was that cold. <laughs> Fortunately, eventually they kind of gave me, my parents gave me double glazing. It's like the happiest Christmas of my life. <laughs> it unwraps it. <laughs> yeah. Double glazing for Christmas. That's a lovely <laughs> story, Dan. That is nice, though. Yeah. yeah. Up until then, they're just giving you ready break. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Send me off to bed at night with the ready break. Yeah, off you go. Just smearing <laughs> it over you. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, you'll be asleep before it wears off. <laughs> Pete, you, Pete, you act... Okay, so, Pete, you want to talk about a venture capitalist. As a result of that, yeah. I played it. Why is this such a special thing for you? I feel like this is a game I've played a lot in the past. Adventure Capitalist. Well, it's the fact that you played a game like this a lot in the past, right? So, Adventure Capitalist, Chris, um, is a what's called a, a, cook, a clicker. Sometimes they're called cookie clickers. Um, they are basically... They are design masterclasses in addiction. So, Interesting. basically, what they are is... They're all all clickers tend to be have the same fundamental um, core, I guess, like any genre. Um, so definitely think of it as a genre. Um, you click on a thing, and a bar begins to fill. The bar bar fills, you know, relatively quickly, and then you get one of that item in that in that bar. Right. Yeah. So then you click it again. You get two. Click it again. Click it again. Click it again. Maybe at this point you've got ten. Now at ten you can afford to unlock the next thing. So you unlock the next thing, and whenever you click on the next item, it's actually worth five. So every time the bar goes up, it's worth five. And then you click on that and click on that, and you keep making sure that the one that you've been doing previously as well, you've also been clicking on that one. Then at some point, you've clicked this five one 10 times, so you've got 50 points. And 50 points allows you to buy a manager for the first thing. Now, so you hire the manager, and on the first item, you assign that manager to that that item, whatever it is, um, and the item, you don't have to click that thing anymore. It just does it automatically. So the bar begins to fill automatically, and you, you get the money coming in. And it's this, and then there's additional things as well. You can upgrade those items to be worth more of those points or money or, or what have you, um, and that increases their multiplier, and you gain more money. So the whole thing in in clickers is about generating lots of numbers so there's there's no like quote-unquote like gameplay there's no like you know it's not straightforward gameplay like a like a platformer or a shooter or something like that it is very much ui driven click on the thing see the bar go up then you have more of the money and you reinvest it back into your business and do whatever so adventure capitalist very much is about businesses. It's building out businesses. Um, you are clicking on a thing, you generate the thing, you make the product. So the first thing that you get is a lemonade stand. You keep clicking on it, you produce more lemonade, you get more more customers. Um, 
and you get more money, then you can unlock the next thing, which is, uh, I don't know, like a car wash or something like that. And you, you do that and you hire... Ma- yeah, well, absolutely. And then you hire managers to look after those businesses. It generates that funding automatically, and then you do those multipliers and all that sort of stuff. So the clickers are kind of like one and the same, but they become design masterclasses in addiction when you get a really good one. And... Adventure Capitalist is the kind of game that really just digs its claws into you, into that sense of addiction. It it it, it feeds on that thing of, I've got more money, I've got more of this thing. It means I can unlock the next step up. It's that satisfaction you get in unlocking things. I think people get it in Call of Duty when they do, you know, when they're leveling up in, in the multiplayer or when they prestige, they get this really big you know, adrenaline kick of, ah, yes, this sort of, you know, something in the brain clicks off and you get this pleasurable, oh, yeah, I I upgraded a meaningless number. And that is what clickers are all about, and that's what Adventure Capitalist is all about. It comes with this really cool visual style, 1940s, 1950s. Yeah, I'm looking at images of it now. Pip-Boy from Fallout, that period of, that period of, like, super positivity, and you're a job creator, and you know all of that—that that kind of chintzy, um, overly positive Americana, uh, 2D visual um, image uh, from that period of time, and 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 it's based around that. And there's lots of little silly jokes and that kind of stuff. And then as you're going through it, you you get into silly amounts of numbers and, and stuff like that. You know, first of all, you'll 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 you know you'll be pleased that you've got a thousand dollars in the bank, and then towards the end, if you're not you know if you're if you're not generating you know eight quadrillion in an hour or whatever it is like you just feel like oh i've I've wasted my time um so the reason i've been playing it again dan is because i played it on mobile a little bit and i was like oh this is really really good and then didn't really have much time for it even though i do really like cookie clickers it's now out on ps4 it came out really recently on playstation 4 and and i thought huh a cookie, cl- uh, a cookie clicker on console. That seems like a really, really bad fit. So I'm going to go and have a look at that because I, I, I always find it really interesting when developers take a game genre that doesn't naturally sit on, on a platform and then try and make it work there. Um, <clears throat> there's plenty of rubbish PlayStation 4 free-to-play games that have come over from mobile. Like There are games that look a heck of a lot like Clash of Clans that are just rubbish. Like they're just they're just not enjoyable. They they'd work so much better on mobile, um, just because the interface doesn't work for them and that kind of thing. And I thought that the clickers would be the same, and certainly that Adventure Capitalist would be the same. And actually, it's the total opposite. I think it's fantastic on PlayStation Four, and the reason is the follows: um, it fits into a cycle, and this is what a lot of free to play games do really well. It fits into a play cycle that I have. So on mobile, when I used to play loads of free-to-play games, I still play a fair number, but when I play loads, used to play them loads, I would wake up in the morning, I would log into Boom Beach, I would gather all my monies and my resources, and I would upgrade the next thing if I could afford it. Or I would you know, send off a little attack, and I would do that the first thing I woke up. I would, check, I would do Boom Beach, and then I'd check my emails, and then I'd get up and have a shower. And then you would take and, the, it. and you'd take the hot water bottle off. And I'd take the water bottle off of my crotch. So um, I would do that and fit that into the, my gaming cycle, my gaming diet, 
if you want to be pretentious about it. And I would also have it at the end of the day as well before I went to bed. I'd be like, cool, boom beach, boom, done. Um, now, I'm not logging onto my console first thing in the morning. I'm not like blearily eyed, like getting up, going into the living room, turning on the PS4. But what I am doing is every time I boot up the PlayStation 4, because it's our DVD, you know, it's essentially our DVD player, Blu-ray player, or whatever. It's the thing that we stream all of our content on. The first thing I do, log into Adventure Capitalist, get the funds, upgrade the next set of things, buy the next set of upgrades, do all that, do my my pass on all of these these things. Then I turn it off. Then I might play Titanfall 2, like I completed Titanfall 2 in a day. So I played that for six hours and then turn that off and then logged on to Adventure Capitalist and I'd acquired a whole bunch of money because the game runs while, while sorry, the game accumulates cash while you're not playing it. So again, you log back in and oh, there we are, six hours have passed, I've got a bunch more money and I can do a bunch more upgrades. And it fits into that pattern really, really nicely. It takes me about 45 seconds to check everything to get all of my money. I've got my Earth um, my Earth businesses, spoilers, you unlock the moon, you unlock Mars, and you can have business businesses there. I, I, I whip through those and I, I do all my upgrades there. Pete, can I ask, what, what businesses does one have on Mars? Um, you have things like escape pods, you have like alien visitor things, uh, you have moon, uh, on moon, for example, you have like moon dust, I think there's like a cheese factory or something like that. It's all very silly and tongue-in-cheek. Um, and yeah, it's just fit in really, really well. And actually, because the inputs are really, really straightforward, it's just really quick to, on the D-pad, go up and down through all of these different UI options and upgrade the thing that you want. It's a really quick, nice little free-to-play hit that I really enjoy. And, and, and I do like, I love the music and I love the visuals and it's all very chintzy and lovely and... Um, and and addictive and and, and uh, i don't want to downplay that it is addiction that is that is a big part of that why they're why they're interesting from a de design capacity now dan i know that you'll be like yeah i love this game i absolutely f like enjoying it it's really great i love it have you been playing it on like mobile or console or i've i've i mean i've been pla i've tried it because i've been playing it on just online uh just on on, on bra browsers on browsers um, I yep. didn't know. I'd never heard of it before. I didn't know you could get it on uh, on phones yeah, and mobile devices. Um, you mentioning that makes me want to download it because yeah. there is an element of... I, I like seeing the numbers go up. Yeah. Um, and what's actually quite annoying for me is because I do browser, and it does kind of say, to go away, come back, and it will carry on doing it. But every time I go away for kind of power-saving purposes, after like five minutes of inaction, my laptop goes into sleep mode, and so it stops. Yep. So then I turn it back on the next day, and it's I've only got three million. I'm like, but it's been on all night. <laughs> but it's obviously been it hasn't. Night. Obviously it hasn't. My laptop's been in sleep, so nothing's happened because it's not my laptop's not really on. No, no, no. So it should. It actually should tick up in the background. So if you play it on mobile, it will figure out how long it's been yeah. off and then upgrade it. So it's the same with the console version. Like I think Dan that you should it, it, grab it on mobile or tablet or whatever it is that you want to do the thing that you check relatively frequently um and and grab it on console as well and see whether or not you like it but there. i, it's, I it's... turn on my console once a week oh, doesn't play anything. Anything. it's just uh nah, hates hates games i just i just like to, i just like to see the lights go on 
Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, grab it on mobile and see see what you think of it. And 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 like I say, work it into your schedule. Don't don't think of it as I'm going to actively play this game. Oh no, think yeah, it it'll like, be I'm... like I had a similar thing with you, Boom Beach. So it'll be a similar yeah. same same thing as that. I wouldn't look at it as a game I'll play. It'll be like as a game I'll no. check in with. Yeah, because I yeah, yeah. I I agree. I understand the kind of that compulsion, the enjoyment from. See, for me, it's like I've got it on my screen at the moment. And what I like to do is kind of for kind of consistency, I want because in the browser version, there's 10 different businesses. I've got nine of them. What I want is for them all to be at the same level. But obviously, the higher they go, the longer it takes to get up to that level. So it's going to take me a long time to get there. But I kind of just I want them all to get to that level and then. I want them all to get up to the next level, so they go one by one to go through, and it's just really methodical, kind of, really yeah. kind of satisfying numbers-driven consistency. Do you want to know? Do you want to know where? Uh, do you want to know where the next level of crack is? Right, is that Jupiter? <laughs> it is. No, the next level of this, Dan. Get this. So the PlayStation Four version has achievements. Yeah. No, but- no, 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 no. You're like, you're like, oh yeah, but it gives you this goal and there's things in there that would i think that would make you squirm a little bit and go Ooh. like for example one of the achievements is get 666 of every single thing and that's an achievement so if you can get 666 of everything they'll give you an achievement yeah. and it's like see oh, see for me something to work towards see for like, me and that's actually an interesting point for me achievements have very rarely really pushed me to play a game only I think on like one or two occasions and one in particular I can think of where achievements have pushed me to play the game and that game was Tearaway on Vita that was one of the that's probably the only game that Mm -hmm. I've really got into and gone back into the game to really pursue the achievements that was partly because I loved the game and it was such a beautiful game of course yeah but achievements and I've got I mean both on PS4, Xbox, Xbox 360, PS3. I've never been a particular, a, much of a like an achievements hunter no, or anything like that. Neither have I. But it's, but it's, oh, it's, it's so. It just gives another layer of dimension. Just get, adds another layer of like, ooh, oh, I could, I could try and get a hundred of everything, couldn't I? Yeah, I, I can do that. Yeah, that's my next. That's my next goal. Um, I really love it. I think it's. I think it's great. I think the Adventure Capitalist on PS4 is coming along quite nicely. It's really good. It's not been out for a huge amount of time. The first release that's up there is is pretty good. I what I really want, and I think what will probably lead to my ultimate demise is if they start adding in things like comparing your scores with friends. Yeah. So there's nothing like that at the moment. But if they start saying, oh, well, you could just bring in your PlayStation ID and this is what Dan, this is how many, like how profitable Dan is right now, I think I would probably go mad <laughs> and I would definitely, but definitely that, want ironically, to be Ironically, that would that be stuff. more in keeping with capitalism, that idea yeah. of competition. I mean, I wonder what Adventure Socialist would look like. I have got a massive recommendation uh, for for you both and in fact for just people who generally like podcasts and stuff I know we don't really do like podcast shout outs and stuff like that. maybe we should is that a good way we're of not like, connecting with people 
We're Not Wizards. Yeah, that's a good one. There you go. If you like podcasts, go and, go and listen to We're Not Wizards. They're a lovely bunch. Um, and on the subject of wizardry, um, there is a fantastic podcast uh, that uh, I was recommended wholeheartedly by a listener to Staying In. Um, so they got in touch with me on Twitter and they were like, oh, um, and this is a, actually funnily enough on the subject of clickers. This is somebody who makes who has made some excellent clickers in, in their past. Uh, the chap is called uh, Clive Gorman, uh, and um, I've played a whole bunch of uh, Clive's Clive's games previously. And he said, "Oh, Peter, I think I think I'm going to recommend to you a, a thing called Hello from the Magic Tavern." What's that about? And I was like, oh, I was like, okay, but recommending podcasts is quite a it's quite a quite a personal thing. And I'm always like, okay, like whenever people recommend it, I'm like, eh, I don't know if I want to put the time into finding this out, but I like Clive's stuff, so I was like, okay, well, I, I trust you, Clive. Um, uh, Hello from the Magic Tavern is absolutely hilarious. It's this comedy podcast where it's all improv, basically, where this guy's like travelled through a portal, and he's getting this weak Wi-Fi signal, but he's gone through this portal to a another another world, to the world of Foon. And it's this like medieval fantasy world, and so he from the Magic Tavern. He he interviews people who are in this magical world, but he's from Chicago. Like he fell through it, uh, through into this portal through uh, the back of a of a Burger King, and he's getting this Wi-Fi signal. In. So he does this po- a weekly podcast that tells people all about Foon and what's going on, um, and it's very very Dungeons and Dragons. Like it is very. This is a fantasy world, and uh, you know there is a changeling. Uh, I'm, I'm on the first three episodes at the moment. Uh, there's a changeling, there's a pot plant who can talk, uh, there is a wizard who's on this epic quest to, to defeat the Dark Lord, and they're all basically just having conversations about what's going on in this world. And then there's a lot of modernisms as well. So, so for example, there's a lot of talk about things that are sort of mo- like modern events, current events, and kind of pastiching how our world works through how a fantasy world works and why a fantasy world seems to make a little bit more sense than our world anyway it's i we you know we've played um the absolutely fantastic dread before and i know that we've done a little bit of that role-playing stuff and i think with that improv and comedy and stuff i really think both of you really really uh, get a lot out of it um it's yeah hello from the magic tavern That's, i'm a few episodes in and definitely worth checking out oh well check that out because i'm, I'm doing the next dread for us which is quite soon actually so I I, mm. I I went to Sam at the weekend as I said and um, he's very kindly lent me the Dread Bible that you had previously, previously bestowed upon him Daniel yes it's, um, it's working it's way around the group because I'm slightly well it will it will never get to me because I will never ever write one because I have no creativity <laughs> um, says the I'm man who's to... <coughs> made a game twice in can 48 people, hours like, I mean can I can I can I write a sufficiently good one from the book, or just what I've got you here? Any okay. like, any good resources I can go to to help me to give me advice on how to construct one of these things? Because I've never hosted anything like this before. Uh, well, if I, because I I did the first one, so I kind of came at it at a, from a complete novice level. I'd seen um, actually, I'll tell you what, uh, in Dread, that uh, it does include three stories. It does include Great. three stories. So we've we've not used them in terms of uh, our group. Um, I first discovered it through the YouTube uh, show Tabletop with Will Wheaton. 
they played Dread. Mm. Uh, I think it might have been season three of that, or was it season two? Um, I can't remember. It was a two-parter, though. I remember. Yeah, so they, they played that, and they played one of the stories from the book in that. Um, when I was doing it, I read the book, um, but I read it more in terms of... Um, how to kind of run a game and kind of tips on how to do it rather than go through your traditional Dungeons and Dragons it does kind of treat it a little bit differently because it's a bit more flexible the way it kind of works because it's built around a Jenga tower um, but what I had was basically just came up with an idea in my head um, and it was a very basic idea it wasn't even the full story it was a one kind of there was one element of the story that I wanted to put in place so I had that idea and then I kind of just built around that so I, I think in my what started off for me i wanted there to be a situation where between the three of you one of you would have to choose to save one of the other two and then that decision oh, would then come around and you, the other whoever you didn't choose wouldn't have died but that decision would have then come around so that person then had the opportunity to save the original person that was in my thinking so i had that idea of okay what scenario could that work in and I came up with an idea of being on a spaceship and stuff like that and there being aliens. And so I just built then around that and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. Eventually, I didn't even use that original idea. That original idea didn't make it into the final story because it just didn't... I couldn't get it to work without splitting everyone up, which I didn't really want to do. So that's how I did it. I had a, a single kind of image that I had and then thought, okay, then this is what I want to do. How can I get them to that point? Okay, so I do this. Okay, well, how do I get to that point? And then built it up. And then there were certain ideas like... I wanted none of you guys to have known each other. So how? What? I needed to come up with a narrative reason why you didn't know each other, which built into right. the story. And so eventually, that all the pieces started to click together. So and, and then in terms of the book, the book was much more about actually structuring it and what do I need to know in order to do this, as opposed to a cheat sheet. Because I think once you understand the concepts of what you're trying to do, if you know the story well enough, you can just run with it. Um, but I'll say the same thing as I said to Sam when he did it. Uh, don't try and plan for what we are going to do because immediately we will do things that you haven't planned for. It happened to me. It happened, it happened to me and it happened to yeah. Sam. Sam I said think. that he kind of, looking back on it, he tried too much to try and cater for every eventuality when in the first like four seconds, all three of us went off piste compared to what he planned. Yeah. I mean, Pete just started punching people for no reason. Yeah, yeah. So Pete, that's, that's I mean, what it, that's what I'd say is it's away through the game, right? I mean, it's away to I mean, solve yeah, it's all a, it's issues. A, yeah. I mean, it's a bold move. Um, I can't say it will work for every scenario, but I mean, like Dan raises a very interesting point there. He's given us a scenario there where you know he had to, you know, he would put us in a situation where one of us had to choose to save either one of the other. Peter, if it's a situation, Dan and I are hanging from a cliff. Yeah. Maybe it's an ice cliff. Maybe it's in Manchester. Sure. Which one of us would you save? Um, can I just I would say Can I just say Yeah. In my possession, I'm holding in my arms, okay? Mm, mm, your mm. rabbit taco. Right. Just I don't why? know if that's going to sway your answer at all. Well, it's also going to lose why you grip on the wall down. Yeah. I mean, you're an idiot if you've taken taco up there. He'd be fur he'd be furious. Um but Pete, you know Pete, before you answer, whose face has been keeping your crotch warm? these last few years <laughs> well, Darren I can't, Chris, I can't I can't fight that um, here's my thing I would make a very logical decision here okay. and I would save Dan now the reason Chris Boom. is not because I don't love you but the, uh, the, the reason is 
He's first of all, look at his little young face. Yeah, he's he's barely four years young. old. I have so much yeah. to see so, in this world. But also, Dan is the most likely to uh, hurt himself while hanging from the cliff. Whereas Chris, I'm pretty sure you've got infinite stamina. <laughs> yeah, mode I do. But yeah, it's good. Good. So you'll be yeah. fine. Like I'm basically, hardy. I could just leave you there. For, I'd be like, right, I'm going off, having a little nap. Uh, maybe a quick spot of dinner I'll come back and rescue you, you later you could probably you'll probably have climbed back up a, like uh, up again by that point so I think basically because of Dan's general level of incompetence I would save Dan and then Chris you'd be alright yes cool. I fully agree yeah yeah I'll go with that <laughs> alright good I've taken my first steps and foray into the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Oh my goodness me! What? Uh, that is, I think, a sentence I never thought I would hear you say. Yeah, yeah. So Dan, you took you took on like D and D. What were you hosting it, or were you? Just no, no, I wasn't the... hosting it. Um, me and a, a group of friends, including a uh, friend of the show, Duncan Molloy from Osprey Games. Um, yes kind of got together and then the one guy was hosting it and it was kind of it's taken from uh, I think Dungeons Dragons 4th edition um, and at kind of quite short notice I kind of threw together a character which having worked on the backstory I've basically created Frodo Baggins um, I've created uh, Theodore Highhill who is a halfling rogue um, yeah. who's been disowned by his family and has fallen into a life of crime, but wants to get out of it. Um, okay. And so we, we, we've started running this. I mean, it's, it's helped a lot of us. We'll kind of all, at the moment, it's uh, three players and then the DM, but I think there's some other guys going to join as well. And I think we've all uh, listened to uh, the Adventure Zone podcast, which is, a again, yes. like a comedy uh, Dungeons & Dragons podcast uh, done by... Um, uh, the guys who do My Brother, My Brother and Me, which is a, a podcast by three uh, McElroy brothers, um, kind of three American guys, um, which is great fun. And it's a really good kind of entry point into what Dungeons & Dragons is in terms of just the fun side. It doesn't have to get really down and dirty with rules. You can play fast and loose. It's about having fun with the characters and the improvisation. And that's what I really quite like. That's what I liked about Dread. And I quite like about... Um, Dungeons and Dragons it's that element of improvisation and creativity it's that having to think of something on the spot and just having to run with it um, I, it's difficult I find it difficult but I also find it really really fun um, in, in, the short, in the short amount of play we've played so far um, we, we had a what should have been a nice quick and easy fight which turned into some kind of bloodbath but uh, it was Peter. It was as if you were there. It went that violent that fast. Yeah, yeah. Um, sure. So yeah, so we, we we had a bit of a fight. Uh, we did a bit of exploring, and then kind of we by the end of it, we the narrative had just started to kick in. The kind of the more uh, overarching story had started to kick in. But I, I'm I'm really enjoying it and kind of enjoying coming up with a character with the backstory and what it all means and all all that stuff. But it's really good. You guys, Pete, have you? I think you've played a little bit of Dungeons and Dragons, is that correct? Yeah, I've played a little bit. Uh, well, I've not played... Oh, no, I have played a little bit of Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, played a little bit of that. I've mostly played other things that are kind of based on pen and paper RPG systems. So I've played the Cthulhu Mythos, um, one of the famous Cthulhu Mythos ones, 
called Delta Green, which is excellent. Um, I think I've played something else as well. But yes, I'm, I'm quite familiar with that sort of stuff. Is it, a, Chris, is that something that you've... I know obviously we've, we've done some Dread. Has kind of the, the more kind of dice dice roll based areas of Dungeons & Dragons ever been something you've been interested in? Do you know what? It didn't. Until we played Dread, it was something that was quite um, impenetrable for me. I didn't see a way into it. It just mm. seemed quite complicated. And we talked about this last time in the show when we were talking about gateway games, really. And Dread is very much a good gateway game for something like a pen and paper RPG. And actually... I would really be intrigued by this because it, it actually draws a back, it draws from a lot of the kind of experiences we accrued when we were at uni, doing a drama degree. Things like improvisation, creativity, thinking on your feet, um, narrative theory, those kind of things, um, and a bit of game theory and play thrown into the mix. It makes us this really kind of rich and vibrant kind of soup of ideas, really. And you kind of want to just... So I've got croutons on the brain ever since Pete planted that there earlier. Um, I love croutons. Um, yeah, I'm totally on board with it. I'd love to do something like that. Once we've all done the round of dread, and once Pete mm. long, at long last presents his very stripped back, minimal dread, no. uh, one act, it'll probably be set in the room that we'll actually be playing it in, about yeah. um, four people playing Jenga. <laughs> um, <laughs> Once that he's done great, that, actually. I think we'll go on to the next level. I, I would love to. I would love to do some kind of D and D campaign. That'd be brilliant fun. Pete, you look super excited at that prospect. No, I, I just don't like the idea. I love the idea of doing a D and D campaign, like a pre-written D and D campaign. Yeah. that's that's absolutely fine. But the me, the the concept of me even tackling something like dread is just oh my god! It fills me with dread. Oh. All right, no, no. I, I don't know what Split is. I will tell you what is, Split is. Is this the mobile game, Chris? This is, is this Split the mobile game, the lovely mobile game that's been getting so much attention and praise? No, it's not Split the mobile game that's been getting so much attention and praise. It oh. is a film um, that I saw at cinema at the weekend. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a new M. Night Shyamalan film. Sh- yeah, I am a big defender of Mr. Shyamalan. Um, really? really? Even, yes, even through the last Airbender years, I didn't see that. Probably. What about Lady I, in the Water, to... where he? Yeah, I like that. I like Lady in the Water, where he wrote a part for himself as a really obnoxious film critic who was killed. Uh, well, he wasn't the film critic in it, but yeah, he wrote a part for. Oh, sorry, I thought critic, he was the film critic in it. Played by the great Bob Balaban. Um, no, was, I, I like Lady in the Water. It had a great cast: Bryce Dallas Howard, um, Paul Giamatti. Great film. Um, yeah, I, I even like The Happening, um, except that I didn't really like Mark Wahlberg's performance in it, and it was set in a lovely kind of sunshine state of Philadelphia, which is where all his films are set, with the exception of The Last Airbender, which wouldn't have worked really well fitted in to Philadelphia. <laughs> but um, no, so I watched Split, and over the last few years, Shyamalan's had a bit of a return to form um, with the kind of horror genre. Um, he did The Visit um, a couple of years back, which got quite good reviews. Um, mm. And Peter, Split is essentially... It's about um, uh, three girls that are kidnapped by this mysterious man and are kind of imprisoned in a basement. Um, and it turns out um, that their guard yeah. is that well, the people guarding them are actually all one person. And right. it's, it's a, the, the great actor James McAvoy in the role. Um, who plays 23 different people. He has 23 split personality kind of identities. He's got uh, dissociative identity disorder, DID, 
Um, I don't know to what extent Shyamalan researched into that particular um, condition and to what extent that is based on any kind of neurological research. So there's a kind of a, a whiff of supernatural about it. Um, and basically, the, the, the 23 identities are interact with the three girls and they try to get them to play themselves off against each other because either, each identity is not aware of what they've told the previous one. And James McAvoy delivers right. this incredible performance, this tour de force performance. And so does um, the lead uh, actor, one of the girls who's kidnapped, Anya Taylor-Joy. She's absolutely fantastic. And, um, uh, and Shyamalan makes a cameo down, as he does in all his films. And it's about these 23 identities preparing the girls for the appearance of the mysterious 24th identity. They're waiting for the 24th identity to arrive. It's about, it, it comes to a head and it has an ending which I did not see coming whatsoever. Well, I've, I, what a twist! Well, I've, no, 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 I've, I, suggest, I suggest you ignore, listen, if you've not seen Split, and you're a bit like me, you want to defend Mr Shyamalan, and you would like to have the experience of watching a Shyamalan film in 2017, a new one, preserved intact, remaining intact, I suggest you do not read anything in the news about it, just watch the film. Do you not, do you, do you basically go into every Shyamalan movie wondering whether or not there's going to be a twist because i would um he's kind of become famous i mean there wasn't there wasn't a twist in lady in the water there wasn't a twist in i don't think it was a twist in the last airbender was that in it was that in itself a twist and <laughs> um, there wasn't a twist i mean the famous one is the sixth sense um yeah i've not seen that great film very good film um i loved unbreakable as well unbreakable is a very good film well don't don't spoil it for me I'm not going to spoil the films or the twists. I'm just saying. I'm just like. I'm just saying the films I liked of his. All right. Um, I'm not going to watch it. But. They. Oh, you. I think. Yeah. Yeah, Dan. I recommend you watch Split. It's a slow burn. It's his longest film to date, and he says it's I the longest thing. That... I don't think I'm going to see it at the cinema. I may oh, well Dan. catch it when it when it when it heads to the small screen. Ooh, that's that's an interesting definition, isn't it? Like we were going to go and see the Assassin's Creed movie, and then we saw the reviews, and we were like, "Let's wait until that's on Netflix." Well, there's a difference, you see. There's a there are certain things I will go and see at the cinema, even if I if I think this film's going to be kind of amazing, I will want to see it at the cinema. There will be films that I don't think necessarily going to be amazing, but I uh, something like Assassin's Creed, I may be more inclined because I think you know what on that big screen it's going to be an experience I'm going to get something from it being mm. on a big screen I think something like a rel- like a, it's not so much low budget but kind of a uh, more intimate story the big screen aspect isn't going to give me a lot in terms mm. of obviously mm. I love going to cinema I love this experience of being in the cinema but cinema's expensive so if I'm going to go mm. I want to go there for a film that's going to really going to that I'm going to have a better experience from being in the cinema to have seen it a small intimate film I can have a great experience on a small screen at home because I can watch that in the comfort of my own home and I can invest in it whereas Star Wars I want to see that cinema because it's huge it's bombastic it's loud it's crash bang wallop it's brilliant on a cinema screen and I'll get a lot more from it like from there than I would at home and that's that's why I would kind of make that distinction in terms of decisions on how I watch a film I was around at Sam's today and just sat on a sofa and um, I, it, I got to the point where like, I realised that, you know, I realised actually that we've known each other quite a while because we don't even have to say that much to each other and we just start randomly laughing. There was a period where we were just doing those stupid jokes like, what do you call a person, da-da-da-da-da, and, you know, like, things like, 
what do you call um, Sam said what do you call a man between two buildings what do you call a man between two buildings Ali fucking hell Think, uh, he said it, not me. I think you had to be there. Yeah, I know, but you're relaying it yeah. and forcing it on other people. <laughs> All right. You, I, did, you, I did find you, a good you are one. Making the, you're making the distinction that it was funny and is worthy of telling yeah. other people. Oh, no, I found, yeah. it, I, I found it hilarious. <laughs> well, okay. Right, new one I found the other day, because there's loads of them. Yeah. Like, what do you call a woman? Is it, who is could, it as good as... Yeah, go on. What do you call a woman? Well? Oh, this, is, this is one I used to say when I was a kid. What do you call a woman who can balance... Uh, three pints of lager on her head. Uh, Trace. Tracy. Don't know. Trace. Mm. <sighs> All right. Okay. My favourite one. I saw Here we it the go. Third time Gen- lucky. Third time this, lucky. This yeah, one. Go on. This yeah, yeah, genuinely yeah, yeah. made me laugh. Right. Yeah. Okay. You ready? No. I don't. No. Think no. I All right. I'll give you a second. What do you call a man with no shins? Uh, I don't know. Tony. Right. Wrap this up. If we could sort of turn my feeling towards what that was it would just be uh, Dan I've got a horrible feeling that he's going to be turning the hot water bottle the other way around today <laughs> <laughs> that was staying in with Dan Frost Peter Willington and myself Chris Darby if you enjoyed this episode please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts visit stayingin.podbean.com for more information and links to the comics, movies, games, and more covered in this episode. And come find us on Twitter at StayingInPod. Thanks for listening.